President of Bottomline Inc., the number one provider of expert-sourced, expert-vetted, expert advice that empowers your life. I'm thrilled to be talking today to Dr. Cynthia Green. Dr. Green is one of America's foremost experts on brain health and is the founding director of the Memory Enhancement Program at Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai Hospital in New York City. Her company, Total Brain Health, develops evidence-based brain wellness classes and programs used at many leading institutions. You can learn all about what Dr. Green does and her great work at TotalBrainHealth.com. So welcome, Cynthia. I'm so thrilled to talk to you. Thank you. It's really a pleasure to have the chance to speak with you and with your listeners. All right. So let's talk about, we did a, you had a cover story on Bottom Line Personal recently about the fact that our attention span is shrinking. And I did, I did a little research and it, I found a study, and tell me if you agree with this, a Microsoft study that said that attention spans have dropped from 12 seconds to 8 seconds from 2000 to 2015, and that that's one second shorter than a goldfish's attention. Is that true? That, that's pretty pathetic, isn't it? That, we're, that uh, we have less attention than a goldfish? <laughs> yeah, and I, I don't know if that's true. I think what is true is that we have a lot more competing for our attention, and we can do a lot more to take better care of our attention, and that it also impacts our learning. Uh, when we want to remember something like a name, we have to be able to pay attention to it. So, I think so I think we really need to take better care of our attention, and we can. Yeah, I think that's really important because it's really easy to throw the internet under the bus and just say, oh, it's just technology. It's like so overly simplistic. But I really do think that there are so many factors that are going on that, that as you say, have us distracted. So let's talk about some of those. Yeah, um, so you know, one of the things that I think it's important for people to keep in mind, because I hear that all the time, it's the technology that there's so much that we have available to us, when in truth, there's... Uh, if we look back several generations, there were things that our uh, previous generations, our great grandparents had to recall how to do that we don't. Uh, so for example, when people had to hunt for their meals, they had to know how to trap, how to prepare the meat, you know, and all those kinds of things, how to store it safely. We can just go to the grocery store. But what we do have that's different is the rate and pace at which we get information, right? Yeah. So, and is with that, with the pace of it, because like I remember in the 1980s, you and I were just joking a little bit ago before we started recording about our life in the 80s. And I remember doing a presentation when 15 second commercials first came in. And that, you know, the whole messaging, like, could, could we get enough sales copy into a 15 versus a 30 second or a 60 second? And if you look at movies now, the pace of information versus like the old black and whites that seem so plotty, P-L-O-D-D-Y, plotty. Um, so is it that like just everything has sped up and our brains can't keep up with it? Or another way of thinking of that, Sarah, is that are we getting smarter because the way we're forced to deal with information has become more complex. So it used to be that if you think about the old sitcoms from the 60s, there was kind of one plot line, right, that we followed all the way through. And you look at TV shows today where there's multiple storylines that aren't even really resolved season to season. So, you know, I think it's a really interesting question. From a brain health perspective, though, we aren't going to change technology, right? Um, and we aren't going to change how information comes to us in the way that the complexity of that information has evolved. So what we can do is be better prepared. Um, and in terms of our attention, take better care of our attention so we can manage that information more effectively. 
our, our brains, you know, it takes a long time for us to physically evolve. Are our brains able to evolve and keep pace with as rapidly as the world around us has changed? Or do we have to adapt specially? I think that we have the capacity to adapt to that the rate and the pace of the information or to take better control over the rate and pace of that information. And I'll give you an example. When we are always available because we're walking around with our phones, so we can always be reached by a phone call or by a text or by email, um, that's really great. So for myself personally, I know that it allows me to travel more freely and be out of the office, but know that I can always be reached know that my children can reach me if they need to or my husband. But that doesn't mean that at the same time when I'm sitting in a meeting, I need to be checking those emails or checking my Facebook or my LinkedIn. So it's a matter of deciding how I'm going to take control over what I do with that access and with my level of distractibility, right? And, and exercising that control. I think that's such an important part, and we're going to, in a little bit, we're going to talk about strategies for, ta- for taking control, managing the disruptions, and get, increasing our attention span. But I just want to talk for a second that controlling our lives versus being the victim of all the digging and bigging and everything else that goes around us. Like, we have to take control in order to maintain sanity. Sometimes I feel like my head's literally going to explode by the end of the day with, what, what's the number that they say that the number of... Um, inputs that we get, any, any kind of number of commercial messages, the number of you know, pieces of data that get thrown at us today versus in the past, some right. enormous and number. Right, and we're much more available for that kind of disruption. So it is a matter of deciding for yourself that you're going to take control, and it can be hard to do. You know, we do, I think many of us, especially with busy lives in the workplace and juggling multiple roles, feel like we're going to miss something or that we do constantly have to be available. But I think that we're starting to see a sense of control over that. For example, uh, in Europe, the movement to uh, protect the weekend, right, in the evening, so that they're passing legislation saying that people don't have to respond to work emails, for example, in the evening or on the weekend. Um, Oh, but if we did that here. (laughs) Uh, You know, and that can be very difficult. For a lot of us, you know, uh, here at Total Brain Health, as uh, small business owners, we we can't always do that. But at the same time, we can make better choices. Um, and understanding that if what is troubling to us is that sense of distractibility, and that by the way, even with aging, you know, many of us think about the things uh, that change with our cognitive processing as being the result of aging. And in some cases they are, and I know we're going to talk about that, but when it comes to attention, there's a lot that we know about kind of environmental distractibility and we can make choices to improve our attention. Um, and that can come from many different ways, but one of them can be taking better control of how available we are. So one question about one more question on this, then we're going to take a break and then we're going to talk about some of these strategies. So, you know, they talk about there's like a dopamine hit when the bell goes off. Why is everybody so compelled every time the text comes in, every time, you know, Facebook bings or something else? Is this very Pavlovian? Like, is there, are there neurological changes to the brain that are going along with our reduction of attention that, you know, that with every bing that we're, we're wanting to see, you know, that we, we have this compulsion toward these dings and bings? Like, 
I think that the most interesting research in that area has actually come out of the addiction psychology literature, which is suggesting that there is a um, physiological response to, you know, how many likes you're getting on something that you post, for example, and those dings and bings. And so, yes, but that doesn't mean that we can't change that impact. Yeah, no, I agree. But I think, again, when we think about all the different inputs and what's happening around us, that that's a piece of it. And I feel it with myself. I mean, what happens? The thing dings and you go, oh, maybe my daughter texted me, right? So that that's all part of like, turn the phone off, like all those different strategies that we'll talk about in just a second. But it's, it's tough with what the world's dealing with. Like you really do have to strengthen yourself and take control of our lives. Right. And so it's a matter though of balance as well. So it's not either or. And I think that so much of the time we feel like it has to be, you know, either I become, you know, celibate for my phone or I, I delete, you know, some of these apps. So I'm not as tempted. Um, and that might be where some people have to start. But in general, I think that there's also a sense of moderation and that's true with anything in our lives. And so you know, we, we're going to talk about some great tips that people can use to help foster that for themselves and to really help boost attention. All right, let's go take a quick break. And then we're going to talk about your strategies for taking control and for t- uh, techniques to boost attention. I'm talking to Dr. Cynthia Green, one of the foremost experts on brain health, about how our brains are changing in our fast-paced techno world. Our attention spans are shrinking, our memories are wavering, yet the demands on our brains are greater than ever. For many years, Cynthia has been providing Bottom Lines readers with tips to stay sharp and prevent memory loss. Her insights appear often in our flagship publication, Bottom Line Personal, and they're a key part of our latest best-selling book, Bottom Line Super Brain Boosting Secrets, which is filled with hundreds of scientifically proven breakthroughs that can prevent Alzheimer's, reverse memory loss, and keep your mind sharp for life. Order your own copy of Super Brain Boosting Secrets today at bottomlinestore.com forward slash green. And you can get two great free books if you order today, Bottom Line's Best Ever Healing Secrets and The Book of Brain Games. That's bottomlinestore.com forward slash green, bottomlinestore.com forward slash green. Cynthia, we're back and we're talking about the uh, the loss of attention, like our shrinking attention span in our overly binged, overly dinged, overly stimulated, so many new factors going coming into all of our lives. So let's talk about how we can take control. Because you said that a lot of it is really, with so many new exciting things going on, it's part of it, we have to take better control of the disruptions. So what are some of your strategies for taking better control? So one of the things that we can do is start to look at our timeline over the day and to really protect time when we want to be focused. Uh, For example, one of the things that I started to do several years ago and I was given the strategy from others, right? So one of the wonderful things about being a brain health expert and, and talking to people a lot is I get to learn from other people what works for them. To really think about what time of day, for example, if you have to write a report, what time of day are you at your best and most focused to doing that kind of productive writing? For many of us, it's in the late morning. So set aside that time, turn off your phone, put on a message saying that you'll get back to people so that you can protect that time from disruption. And then also... So on that, are there better times? Because I always heard that like the more intense work, the more detailed work was better in the morning. And then like you could be more creative at night. Like I always like editing at night or I'll write my blog at night. 
Is that? Yeah, I've heard that too. And I think that it's a little bit of a personal thing. The other thing that you hear is that people are more, we can be kind of a little more tired in terms of uh, productivity in the afternoon. And that's a great time for collaboration because we can also be more energized by working with others. So that's another great time, say, for meetings. So maybe you shift meetings into the afternoon. Um, and so, th you know, that's a very personal thing, but I urge people often to take a look at your own timeline and try to protect your time and try to protect that time when you really need to concentrate by, you know, setting time limits, set an alarm, say for every half hour so that you're not tempted when you get stuck with a sentence, right? You, you're using the same word twice and you can't think of a different uh, synonym. Uh, so you go to check your email. You don't allow yourself to do that. Set an alarm so that you ha have a time that you go and check. Or say, as soon as I finish, you know, the first uh, four paragraphs, then I'm going to allow myself to take a five minute break so that you use them as a reward for accomplishing a task. Well, I think you also in the article in Bottom Line Personal, we talked about building up a tolerance, right? Because again, when the phone is on all the time and you're hearing the ding and constantly distracted and getting used to holding yourself off for five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, and so on. Mm hmm. And that can be also really helpful. So you get to longer and longer time periods. And there are trackers, by the way, if people are interested, there's one, for example, called Moment, which is an app which will help you track and see how much time you're actually spending on these different applications. Um, and, you know, for some people that can be really eye-opening as well and motivating. What let, Let's, though, focus on attention because I think that there's some other ways that we can build attention. Um, kind of getting away from the things that distract us. Because one of the other things that's true is that as we age, it does become harder to sustain and hold our attention. So it is environmental, right? And we live in a particular time where we may be more distracted by things in our environment. But the other truth is that as we age, sustaining or holding attention becomes, as a cognitive task, also more challenging. And there's two ways I'd like to suggest that we can combat that. The first is to do things against the clock. So one of the truths about growing older is that many of the primary cognitive skills that we rely on uh, to function well day to day uh, diminish and become more challenged as we grow older. And that includes things like sustained attention, but also uh, processing speed, our ability to think quickly, uh, our ability to think nimbly, to kind of jump between different thinking sets or uh, to multitask, as well as memory, because these impact memory. If you're going to remember something like a name or directions, you have to be able to hold your attention to the information, to think quickly as you get the information, and to think flexibly so you're able to juggle learning the information with whatever else is going on at that time, say a conversation. So even if it's a short burst, like playing boggle and you have to get as many words as you can in a short amount of time, just that intense, it's like doing sprints when you're running, you know, when you're exercising, that that intensity helps build up your long, longevity skills as well? Yes, because we don't often do things against the clock. So even though uh, we all may be doing things at work that are intellectually very challenging and engaging, we may be problem solving, we may be being creative in the workplace, we're not necessarily forcing ourselves to work fast. And working against a deadline at work 
like a publication deadline isn't exactly the same thing as trying to complete a cognitive task against the clock. So what are so some of I, your favorite tasks for people to do? Well, you named one, which Bob. is Boggle Online. Right. And one of the reasons I love it, it's a game now owned by Zynga. Um, and you can download it as an app. And there we go talking about the value of an app, right, rather than looking at it as a distraction, is that it can, uh, you, it's something you can do quickly. Um, it's also, by the way, the version that I love is social because you can play against people you know, so you and I could play against each other, or you could play against strangers in different competitions. So they're kind of short and sweet, but they're timed and you're playing against the clock and you're forced to bring all those skills to bear when you're playing against the clock. Now that's kind uh, of a game. I'm not really a, a video game person, but that one you require, um, word knowledge. Like there's multi types of knowledge versus I'll call it the standard shoot 'em up video games or the candy crushes or that kind of thing are are those they're timed like those, but bar- they're they're getting their advantages to those games too so i wouldn't knock them for some mm-hmm. people that that's what they love to do and it's wherever you're playing against the clock because when you're trying to win against a timer you keep your attention focused right um you think faster and you have to think flexibly so even if you're looking in candy crush or something else for a visual pattern um, you're doing better. I, you know, it makes me think of Pac-Man, which to my mind was is still one of my favorite video games, although I don't love the current way of doing it on a phone. I kind of miss that joystick. Yes. But, you know, same kind of thing. Um, and that has a level of problem solving that you don't face every day. So it's novel and new. And those are quick and, and, and fun ways that you may think of them as games, but they're actually brain training. And if you look at the brain training software, a lot of it is this kind of games-based training, and it's something that we don't, as we grow older, have in our lives that we can really use. And you don't need to play a brain game to do it. All of the things that we just mentioned are brain games. And if you like doing the crossword puzzle, do the crossword puzzle, do Sudoku, but set a timer and really force yourself to play against the clock because that is really what's going to exercise those stills and help to build your attention. Love it. Okay. Now, you had some other suggestions that actually go the other way, go to more of a quieter state. Right. And that is mindfulness meditation. Because one of the things that happens, again, with growing older, and also in the face of all this distractibility from our, in our environment, is that we can't hold our focus. We lose the ability to retain our focus on a single event or thought. So, One of the advantages of mindfulness is that it retrains our brain to hold focus. And that might be, in fact, one of the reasons it's of growing popularity. We are finding many of us solace or respite in being able to retrain ourselves to hold focus. And when you look at the research in terms of the cognitive impact of mindfulness meditations, what we see is that it improves attention, it improves memory. Um, as well as, of course, the emotional uh, benefits of those kinds of practices for which they're known. It's more the cognitive impact that I think is more novel. There was even a study showing that it improved GRE or standardized test scores in a group of college students. Now, when you're saying so, so mindful meditation answers. being concentrating on very, you know, being very present to what you're eating or as you're writing or walking versus like TM, transcendental meditation, where you just kind of have your um, word going through your head, but you're not attending to it. You're almost just allowing it. 
So is it any right. meditation or you're, you're specifically on mindful meditation? I think that it's really any, and I like to start with mindfulness because I think that's an easier point of entry for many of us. So it can be mindfully eating. So with every first bite of a meal, um, to focus on in totality on the actual experience of what you're doing in that moment. Uh, for some people, it's when you go to take a walk. So when I walk from my home to my office, being very focused on the sights that I am seeing in that experience, not letting kind of the jumbling conversation in my head about all the things I have to get done or the phone calls I didn't make arise, right? To really focus on the singularity of that experience in the moment. And yes, for many of us, we can take that further into an actual meditation practice. Um, there's research showing that benefit of a medita a full meditation practice, but I'm kind of with Herb Benson, who founded the um, Harvard Mind Body Institute and not really creating a, um, if you will, a, a kind of cutoff or a, a very uh, limiting definition about what mindfulness or meditation is. He, he he termed it more in terms of a relaxation response. For some people, it's prayer. For some people, they might find that singularity of focus in exercise. But it's having that singularity of focus where you are not allowing the distraction of other thoughts to intrude, where you may acknowledge them and say, okay, I'll, we'll, we'll talk later, um, but where you're able to maintain the focus on the actual experience of the moment that we're looking for. Gotcha. Now you had two other strategies that I'll call quieter. One was listening to symphonies um, and the other was using pen and paper, both of which I caught are, are more, you know, going back to traditional kind of activities. You know, the symphony thing is interesting. There's been a lot of, uh, there's been some interesting articles recently about the power of music. We see a lot about the power of music, for example, in people who have memory challenge in terms of uh, the way that music can uh, engage people. It, it definitely has a very different level of experience for us. With classical music, there's something that for many people can be very calming um, and can really contain focus. Um, and so that's something that if it works for you, that's great. I personally, often when I have to be in that place where I'm really focused and concentrating, you walk into my office and I'm playing classical music. Yes. I, I, I find though that I've, I've gone to quiet. It's so funny, you know, I was gonna ask you this before. With, with all the stimulations and, and you talked about, you know, as we get older and, and the reduction in ability to hold attention, sometimes the quiet for me is just because my brain, my muscles are sore, like my brain muscle is sore and needs the nothing. Right. Which is a beautiful thing. Yes, exactly. Um, now how about pen and paper? Yeah, the pen and paper, that's really interesting because, you know, for some of us, um, we, we, the physicality of doing something helps us with the focus. So doodling has been shown to improve concentration and attention, uh, for some people. And there are a lot of very, you know, brilliant people who doodle um, as they're listening or, you know, in a meeting. Um, there are certain forms of meditation practice that have a tactile component. The Kirtan Kriya, which is a Kundalini yoga tradition, um, it's a, is a time, type of meditation where in addition to the singularity of focus, there's a tactile and auditory component. And it's one that has been studied at UCLA in people who have cognitive challenge, and it's been shown to improve 
uh, their cognitive performance as well as in one pilot study improve blood flow to certain areas of their brain. So I think that my my goal when I talk to people about this and introduce for people who are concerned about their distractibility, the concepts around mindfulness is just to do something that works for you. Because if I try to teach you something that is complex or that feels unnatural, um, then it's not going to work for you and it defeats the, the whole point. So even if what works for you is to get started by when you look at your Fitbit, you know, practicing that as a, a trigger to taking five long, deep breaths where all you're thinking and focusing on is your breathing, that's a great first step. It's whatever gets you there. It's true. You know, we've written a, a number of stories. You talked about the power of music. And we've written a number of stories about the power of music for all sorts of different things. But again, it does become difficult because what is inspiring to me or what you know gets my blood going and ready for exercise may be absolutely horrible for you. So that some of these things, it really is up to personal taste and personal rhythm. Absolutely. As is that level of distractibility, right? So I think that the bottom line, if you don't mind my saying so. Oh, you can say it. <laughs> for all of us, you know, we're distractible for different reasons. We feel tugged and pulled, but that there, we, we have to understand that it's a matter of choice and that we can choose to be less distractible, to be less available, to take better control over our time and to build our attention, right? And to uh, think of ways to building and boosting our attention, both by building focus and by kind of retraining our brains. But the important thing, especially for those of us that are worried about our memory or our performance in the workplace, is that attention is a very basic, critical cognitive skill that underlies a lot of those higher order skills that we worry about, like memory. So if you're worried about your memory, you should first start to look at your attention. Because for most of us, it's not a forgetting problem, it's a getting problem. And we're not getting the information because we're not paying attention. Huge, huge point. So two very quick things, and then we're going to finish this for now. Um, you mentioned again that part of the problem with attention is that it reduces as we get older. Now, let's talk about younger people, the young adults. You have a teenager. I've got young 20-somethings. And they too, should, should, should they, I guess, should they be practicing these things and practicing these attention skills so that they are in those habits? And, and does it help them preserve their attention? This isn't just something for older people to think about? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, I they, they, they are more native to playing these kinds of games, right, against the clock. And I can't tell you how many times I, when I speak, I have parents or grandparents saying, you know, my kids are on the computer all the time. They're playing all these games. They're also, it's a matter of moderation, right? Because if they're on the computer or on the um, Xbox all the time, then they're not maybe doing other things they should be doing in terms of social engagement or physical activity. So like everyone else, they need to strike a balance. The interesting thing, by the way, from a uh, cognitive perspective, is that when you look at the data, so if you look, for example, at the Wexler Adult Intelligence Scale, which is outside of being an intelligence scale, it's a really good measure of cognitive function, um, and you look at the population data, the speed of processing 
so how quickly we think, starts to change in our mid-20s. And that's way before anyone st you know, starts to worry about their brain or thinks that they have a memory problem. But we do start to see those changes at an earlier age. So of course, it's always important to take good care of our brains. Got it. Okay. And one other quick question. You mentioned something about dehydration being connected to attention. Well, you know, the brain and the body is uh, made up of a lot of water, right, of fluid. So one of the things that some studies have shown is that people, you know, physically, there's a lot of things that matter. I think that in that article, we did talk to hydration as just as a good basic concept uh, to bear in mind. Uh, hydration and kind of physically how we take care of ourselves matters to our brain. And, you know, maybe we can get more into depth about that at another time. The other thing is to think about things like caffeine and alcohol that can have negative effects on our attention. Um, caffeine is a very interesting example because it actually is a stimulant that primes attention. So we love caffeine in the morning because it helps wake us up and makes us feel more alert and aware. But too much caffeine can impact attention um, negatively. And as we grow older, uh, the same cup of coffee that we might have been able to tolerate at 25, at 60 or 65, it lasts longer in our system. So we're more prone to being distracted by that same amount of caffeine, if that makes sense. Totally. Absolutely. That's why I actually am just a water drinker because the caffeine just makes me way too jittery and distracted. All right, Dr. Mm -hmm. Cynthia Green, thank you so very much for all of your great advice on how to increase our attention span and hold our attention. Um, anyone can learn more about Dr. Green and her great work at TotalBrainHealth.com. So thank you so much, Cynthia. Thank you. Thank you.